we can anticipate that this year, this disease will continue to claim far more lives than diseases like COVID-19 or Ebola. So like I've been feeling weak, I tried to persist a bit, but that's when I realized that I could not handle her to get hospital. I had that terrible fever. Because one, we are told to stay at home. Now I have to expose to a hospital facility. And you know, in the hospital, there are so many diseases. Leave alone the COVID. Malaria remains one of the biggest killers across the continent. This week, our reporters asked why doctors think transmission rates and malaria deaths are on the rise. Also, we catch up on another invention that was shortlisted for this year's Africa Prize for Engineering Innovation. Join me, Sally Amutabe, for Africa Science Focus. So my name is David Schellenberg and I'm a scientific advisor in WHO's Global Malaria Programme in Geneva, Switzerland. And for those of us who don't know what malaria is, um, David, perhaps you can give us just a brief explanation. Yes, well, malaria is, uh, is a, a nasty infectious disease which is transmitted by the bite of the female Anopheles mosquitoes. About 90% of the world's global malaria burden is carried by Africa. And that's largely because of the form of uh, mosquitoes that are available in Africa, they are supremely efficient vectors of malaria disease. Um, there are four main parasites which cause malaria, and public enemy number one is Plasmodium falciparum. And what makes it so deadly? Well, it's just it's it's just insidious. Uh, after the bite of the mosquito, the parasite makes its way to the liver, where it reproduces furiously over about a ten-day period. And from a bite of just a, a few uh, parasites. Tens of thousands of parasites emerge from the liver, make for the red blood cells. And then every two days or so, uh, each of the red blood cell breaks open um, and, and you have hundreds of thousands of parasites invading other red blood cells. Over the last 15 years or so, there's been a, a massive improvement in malaria control. And the number of people dying from malaria and the number of malaria cases uh, has fallen one year after another after another. That is until about two years ago when, for the first time, we saw that actually the rate of progress was slowing down. Um, and actually, in the last two years, we've, we've documented that in some countries, not only has the rate of progress slowed down, but actually the number of cases and the number of deaths has actually increased. Probably one of the key driving forces is the increase in the size of the population at risk of malaria. And that, unfortunately, has not been mirrored by an increase in the resources available to control malaria. Oliver Pratt is the programme manager at the Malaria Control Centre in Liberia's Ministry of Health. He tells our reporter, Bushe Fala, that people can be infected with a parasite that causes malaria time and time again. You have malaria cases all year round. And the entire country is at risk including yourself, and I think if I can, if I could place a question to you, whether you have caught malaria in your life, the answer would be yes, and many times. So that is the same answer with, it is the disease of the, of, of the highest public, public health concern. We, we experience the highest outpatient attendance, 
due to malaria. I mean, constitute to more than 41, 42 percent of inpatient death, especially among children under five. Your major concern is children under five. No, we concern about the entire population. But the reason why I make emphasis on children under five because of the vulnerability. Children under five are not strong like you and myself. So the immunity is not strong like you and myself. So we put some special emphasis. Well, our program target everyone. Nearly all of East Africa's population has experienced malaria, its horrible effects, and the associated cost of medical care at least once. Our environments are not clean. Many a time in a year, I suffer from malaria from, from, from my experience two, three times. And so this time I, I come to a realization that malaria, because of the surrounding, I experience it more frequently than any other illness. And so I always do my malaria test. Since I had a recent stuff, uh, which was at the end of August. Mm -hmm. So by the end of this week, I should be going to do another test for malaria because I don't want to continue having malaria and other things like that. Few of the symptoms you really experience are African. You'll notice your head will be hurting you, your skin starts getting hot, fever, and the tiredness, your, your, your tongue will be beta, no taste of food. Okay, so how often do you suffer from malaria? <laughs> malaria is so common, you can get it anywhere, anyhow, anytime. I have young ones at home who normally get sick with malaria and it gets costly to treat them because their immunity is not as strong as my immunity. For them, they are younger, they are susceptible to any malaria attack and when they are sleeping in the mosquito net, sometimes they kick it off. Sometimes they sleep and they lean on the mosquito net so the mosquito can bite them. Jessica, Jiffen and Rose speaking about their recent experiences suffering from malaria. We hope you're all feeling much better. Here at Africa Science Focus, we wanted to find out how many people have been affected by malaria over the years. Sarah Natolo reports from Uganda. My name is uh, Dr. Bayo Shegu Fatumbi, works with the WHO as Medical Officer Malaria and also the cluster lead for disease prevention and control. In 2018, the WHO Global Malaria Report, what we call the World Malaria Report, recorded 228 million people affected globally. And resulting from that, we had about 435,000 deaths. That is huge. That is 435 families crying from 2009 prevalence rate of 42%. That is 42 out of every other person had parasites in their system, about one in two. In 2014, that reduced to 19%, and that means one in five. Luckily for us, because of the efforts put by the ministry, the government of Uganda, we've been able to reduce this burden to 9% in 2018, early 2019. This is, that reduces it from 1 in 2 to 1 in 10. In Uganda, the rate of reduction in malaria cases has slowed significantly. Dr. Bayo Fatunbe thinks he knows why this is. From 2015 to now, a lot of environment is changing. The climate change is an issue. Instead of having the peak transmission season in May and July, 
we are now beginning to have rain as early as January. Mosquitoes that breed in breeding sites increases during that period. Another one is the political commitment. The number goes down. The tendency is wanting to relax. That is an issue. While facing the challenges of an ever-increasing population and a changing climate, the coronavirus pandemic has added to the difficulty in battling malaria. Health authorities feared that malaria deaths in sub-Saharan Africa will double due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But Dr. David Shellback, scientific advisor for the World Health Organization Global Malaria Program, describes how this fear has begun to subside over the past few months. As in many places, uh, things were being shut down, movement was being restricted. Um, and one of the knock-on uh, effects of this was that campaigns to distribute insecticide-treated mosquito nets were being suspended. And insecticide-treated mosquito nets are, are remain the cornerstone of malaria prevention in pretty much every setting. So this was a very worrying development. Another intervention to help prevent malaria is called seasonal malaria chemoprevention. And uh, many countries now deliver drugs to children who are at highest risk of malaria three or four times uh, during the seasonal uh, malaria transmission season. And countries were starting to hesitate whether this was uh, a good thing to do in the, in, in, in the face of a COVID pandemic. Uh, WHO uh, engaged with some mathematical modellers uh, and in April uh, released a, a publication which showed the, the extent to which we might slide backwards in the fight against malaria if important things like insecticide-treated mosquito net distributions and seasonal malaria chemoprevention campaigns did not go ahead as planned. The ministries of health in the malaria endemic countries in Africa have listened carefully to the advice uh, and uh, gone ahead with the, the net distribution campaigns, gone ahead with the seasonal malaria chemoprevention campaigns. Um, so we think that as a result of their swift and focused action, uh, some of the worst impacts of the COVID pandemic on malaria may have been avoided. Um, having said that, uh, we're not being complacent because there are uh, several other ways in which COVID can disrupt malaria control. So this has resulted in uh, uh, an impairment in the supply of some of the key commodities that are required to control malaria. So among those, uh, we include rapid diagnostic tests, the first line treatment of, of malaria. This also includes the production of insecticide for indoor residual spraying. And then when they finally get to where they're needed, the, the ports of entries of malaria endemic countries, uh, then there have been problems uh, distributing uh, these key commodities around uh, countries which themselves are directly affected by measures to contain the, the, the spread of, of COVID. So with all this disruption, even though we've got this uh, brilliant case where the countries are taking heed of what WHO has demonstrated with their statistics, we're still probably looking at an increase in the number of cases of malaria this year in Africa. So unfortunately, that is a likely scenario, although at this stage, it's, it's, it's too early to say. The World Health Organization will be releasing a full report outlining the impact of COVID-19 on malaria and the action plan to make sure medical resources reach Africa towards the end of this year. Before we go, we have the chance to investigate another one of the finalists in this year's Africa Prize for Engineering Innovation. 
Malawian Catherine Chaima is the creator of Chaima Soap. Growing up in rural Malawi with farming parents, Catherine was concerned by the amount of waste involved in growing groundnuts, cassava, bananas and rice. The skin and peel of the cassava and banana are not thought to make good compost. But Catherine discovered their hidden antibacterial properties. Using traditional methods, this waste is turned into a reliable cleaning product that unlike other market favorites, is kind to the skin. Jubil Zuru spoke to William Guira, head of Malawi's Department of Science and Technology, to see if Catherine's soap might one day be used to clean every nook and cranny across the country. How far has this innovation gone in your country, is Malawi? The castle soap innovation is indeed fascinating. However, not much has been done, um, but we're overview that the innovation, if properly nurtured and supported, is viable, considering the fact that Malawi's economy is agro-based, and therefore cassava and banana raw materials for the production of cathel soap is readily available. And secondly, if the cathel soap innovation can be properly publicized, it can uh, motivate other youth to develop innovative technologies, hence contributing towards the socio-economic development of the country through uh, job creation. There is a viable market for the soap industry in Malawi, for your information. If cathode soap can be produced according to the expected soap standards set by the Malawi Bureau of Standards, it can easily find its way into the market. William Guira speaking to Jubil Zuru. Do you have a question about development, science or health in Africa? Simply send us a text and we'll have an expert answer it for you. Contact us via WhatsApp on plus 254-799-042513. You can subscribe to our program, download episodes and leave a review at www.sidev.net. Today's program was produced by Harrison Lewis and edited by Ucheno Godo, with reports from journalists Jubil Zulu, Saranatolo, and Boshie Fala. I'm Sally Amutabi. See you next Wednesday. This program was funded by the European Journalism Center through the European Development Journalism Grant Program with support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation.